going to get right into our message today. I'm continuing the message series on I deserve it. Last week we talked about condemnation, right? We deserve condemnation. You know, when we do things wrong, we look at ourselves and we're like, man, I just can't believe I've done that. You know, I can't believe that, that um, you know, I've, I've, I'm such a loser, right? Sometimes we think that. We may not say it, but we think it. We're let down on ourselves, okay? We think of these things a lot of times, but we understand that we might deserve condemnation. But thankfully, God says, you know what? No, you don't. No, you don't. You deserve my grace. You deserve my mercy. You deserve my forgiveness. You deserve my love. And uh, today, man, we're going to get right into a passage of scripture uh, from Luke chapter 19. You might want to go in your YouVersion app or, or go into your Bible, whichever you use, and, and get right there. We're going to look for verses 1 through 9 this morning. But you know what? I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt rejected in your life? Think about that, right? Yeah. I mean, pfft, yeah. We felt rejected. We've all been there, right? We've been in a spot where people, you know, yeah, you know what? I just don't even want to hang out with you. I, think about this when you're little, right? When you're in grade school, you're in elementary school. You know, grade school, old people say grade school, right? I just said grade school, okay? That's not cool, all right? But think about it when you're in elementary school and, and you're growing up. And I remember kickball. Anybody remember kickball? Okay, and, and you always have a team captains, and those team captains do what? They pick the team, right? And if you're the last one picked, you feel what? Rejected, right? That's how you feel. You feel rejected. You're like, man, I'm just not even, I can't even kick the ball straight. You know what I mean? You just, um, they picked the kindergartner over the fifth grader. You know, that's bad, all right? But, um, you know, other, other areas of life that maybe we feel rejected in, you know, how about this? How about this? Maybe, maybe you're in the latter part of elementary school going into junior high or middle school, and you write your, your note to the girl that you like or to the guy that you like, okay? You know, the note says, hey, I really like you. Will you go with me? Check yes here in this box. Check no in this box. Or here's the best part. Or check maybe. All right? Check maybe, right? If you're yes, you're like, bam, Yes. You know, if you got the no, it's, I feel rejected. And let me tell you this, if you're the guy or the girl that got the maybe, chances are it was really meant to be a no. Okay, I hate to break your, burst your bubble on that one. All right. But you know what's funny is, 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 is uh, you know, I, was, I heard a, a minister say this, and he was preaching. He was actually saying this little illustration that I just kind of gave you there. And, and he went on to say, and it's, it's even more funnier, though, that when you're in, and this is a good example for married couples, okay? If you're a married couple, or even if you're dating and you're getting serious and you're dating, okay? Think about this for a second. When you're in those young ages and you're having those so-called relationships, and then three days later they write you a note back, says, you know what, I don't want to go with you any longer. He said this, and it, it was really prophetic, I believe, all right? They never went anywhere in the first place. Maybe that was the problem. Husbands, maybe you need to take your wife out. That might help the marriage, okay? Cool, cool. And, you know, how about this? Especially in this day and age, social media, all right? You know, you, you've got 10 followers, but your friend's got 400. You look at yourself and you're like, wow, I feel kind of pathetic about that. You know, so here's what you do. What do you do? You start following people or friending people whom you have no clue who they are. Just so why? You can feel good about yourself, right? 
Okay, cool. You guys are a hard crowd today. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Some of you guys haven't woke up yet. You're still trying to figure out the whole check yes, no, or maybe deal. All right. But anyway, we're going to get right into the scripture this morning. And uh, we're going to look right into Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 1. And this is kind of what the Bible is telling us here. We're looking real quick about a story about Zac- uh, Zacchaeus. All right. And some of you guys are real familiar with this story. Some of you may not. Hopefully by the end of this day, you will be. Uh, but you know what? We all have felt rejected at one time or another in our life. We have felt rejection. You know, and, and yeah, we kind of joked about it there for a minute. But when we really break it down, and there's some serious issues when it comes to feeling rejected in life. You feel lonely. You feel separated. You feel like you're, you're all by yourself in this world. And, and what happens, it, it, it plays with you psychologically. It, can allow you to go into a a depression. It can really bear weight in your life. And, you know, our our title to our sermon series is called I Deserve It because when we get into this story in a few moments, we're going to understand that you and I, we deserve rejection. We really do. We deserve for Jesus Christ to look at us and say, you know what, you're not good enough. But we're going to get into the story in just a few moments here. And we're going to look at right at verse 1. And let's throw that up right quick. And this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Go on to verse 2. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, understand this, that Luke describes him in two ways. All right? A, name, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a what? A chief tax collector and was very wealthy. So... First of all, what we need to understand here, stopping right there at verse 2, is that he was a chief tax collector. Now, we understand tax collectors, you know, we've, we've seen this through the scriptures and other stories where God has used tax collectors. It's pretty fascinating to me that these guys seem to be the focal point of a lot of stories that we have in scripture. But we understand that this guy, Zacchaeus, all right, he was a chief tax collector. Let's, let's break that down for a second. Let's kind of understand what that's talking about, all right? So what would happen in this day and age? The tax collectors worked for the Roman government, all right? You need to understand that. We're going to get into a really important spot here in just a few moments. But they worked for the Roman government. And so what they would typically do is they would go out and they would collect taxes from people. Now, it's kind of different than the taxes that we have today where, you know, you get the notice in the mail and then you send it out. No, their notice came when the tax collector came and knocked on the door. Understand that. All right. And this is how the tax collector made their living. They would go say, you know, you're an elderly woman, you're a widow, you you owed the government $100. Well, the tax collector like Zacchaeus would come about, knock on the door and say, you owe us $150 for your taxes. $100 would go to the government, $50 would then go where? Into his pocket. All right. So we understand that he was a chief tax collector. Now, understand this, not only just a tax collector, but the word in front says a chief tax collector. In other words, he had tax collectors below him working for him, all right? So how do you become a tax collector? First of all, you have to bribe another tax collector to get into his territory, all right? So we have a crook. We have cheats that are doing this. So we understand Zacchaeus in this moment is a crook, is a cheat, all right? Because now he's in bribery. He's bribing another tax collector saying, look... I'll collect whatever, you can get a percentage of whatever I bring in, I'm going to give to you. That's collect, you know, that other guy's going, hey, this is, an easy, this is easy money right here. All right, all I got to do is sit back and this guy's going to do it. It actually ends up being like a, a monopoly here in, in just a few moments and you'll see that. So we understand that Zacchaeus, 
he was a chief tax collector. So he had other tax collectors, guess what, working for him as well. So now you had this guy, it's kind of like a mafia empire here. You know, you have your godfather who's like the chief tax collector. He's got all his little other tax collectors out there collecting money. And he's just sitting back collecting. Now you need to understand something. This guy, because of who he was, what he did, was not liked at all. People did not like him. When they, when they would see Zacchaeus, they weren't like, oh, hey, Zacchaeus, what's up, bro? You know, high five. No. If Zacchaeus had a Facebook page, he would have no friends. Instagram, zero followers. Snapchat, no streaks. All right? That's Zacchaeus in this moment. Some of you are like, what does streaks mean? Ask somebody later, all right? Zacchaeus, this is who he was, all right? He was a bad guy. He didn't have things going for him. The Bible says he was very wealthy. Well, he collected his wealth by being a cheat, by taking from others, by lying, and virtually by what? Stealing. This was his character. This was his makeup. He wasn't the guy that was going to walk into church. In fact, understand this, he was a, a Jew himself. So here you have Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, who's taking taxes from the Jewish people to give to who? To the Roman government. And Zacchaeus himself is what? A Jew. So we have treason here. We have a traitor here in this moment. So not only is he taking money from people that really didn't belong to him, but he's also doing it to his own people, putting them into an oppressed state. So here we've got Zacchaeus who's doing this, all of this mess, all right? And, and he can't even go into his own temple of worship because people don't like him. He's not allowed to be there. They don't want him around. That's Zacchaeus. Now we're going to get into verse 3 here and in, into the, to the scripture. So it says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but he was short and he could not see over the crowd. Now understand this. We, we get this, all right? We, we look at Zacchaeus and, you know, the song, if, if you were, you know, growing up as a child in church, uh, what, what did it, it was like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He climbed up in that sycamore tree to see what he could see. All right? Now, here's what we do. We think of a regular short dude or a regular short person. All right? You know, just below average. All right? Scholars actually think it was much worse than that, that he was actually considered as a little person, all right? That, that he, here you got this little guy running around who has probably no power other than the power of influence. And you can see this, he's a little guy with a massive ego, all right? A massive ego here, you know? He does no wrong, you know? He's got everything going for him financially that he could ask for. He's got the wealth, he's got... You know, the big house, he's got the flat screen TV if they had that back then, you know. He's got the hardwood floors instead of the straw like everyone else. I mean, this guy has got it going on, all right. He's got everything that everyone else would look at and would pretty much just drool over. They want these things. And so Zacchaeus has all of this. But there's something so important here that sticks out in my mind. Is that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. What is interesting to me here is that you have this man that's got all of this power. What in the world would he have 
speaking of Jesus, what in the world would Jesus have that Zacchaeus would want? Zacchaeus has what he's going after in life. He's got the prestige. He's got um, the money. He's got people working for him. But one thing he lacks is relationship. Relationship. This is probably a man who has scared off and put fear in so many other people that no one wants anything to do with him. And so I can't help but to think for a moment that in Zacchaeus's case, in Zacchaeus's mind, in Zacchaeus's life, there's a moment there where he's beginning to feel rejection. There's something happening. I believe up to this point that there were some things that were plugging at him. You know what? This isn't right. We shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be involved in this. This is wrong. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? We all kind of have that discernment spirit that comes upon us sometimes. That guilty conscience, right? That warning that's inside. Those red flags that pop up and go, you know what? Maybe the way I'm treating my children is not right. Maybe the way that I'm responding to my spouse in a heated moment or an argument is not correct. Maybe the way that, 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 that I'm taking my relationship with Christ is not the way that it needs to go rather than what can I get from it or rather it should be what can I give to him. You see, we all have those triggers in our minds and in our spirits that come off at times. Those things, those warning signs that come up and say, whoa, stop. Maybe before you're going in, so we talked about last week, sometimes we go through those times and those seasons of our life where those particular sins pop up and they continue to nail us every single time. And we have those moments where kind of like the light goes off. It says, whoa, time out. This isn't right. This isn't what I should be doing. So here in verse 3, we see here where Zacchaeus wanted to see who what Jesus was or who he is. I think there's a moment here in this man's life where he has a conscience. There's a moment that has been exposed that becomes soft for Zacchaeus. Let's look at verse 3 again. It says this. Verse 3, please. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was sure, he could not see over the crowd. Let's go on to verse 4. So he ran ahead and climbed. Stop right there. He ran and he climbed. There's two words that are very important here. It says that he ran, and there's right here, you need to underline, you need to highlight, you need to do whatever you do. This is very important, you need to write it down. It says he ran and he climbed. Now here's what you need to understand. This is very important because of the culture that we're reading about right here. For a man to climb a tree in this day and age, that wasn't heard of. You see, the only reason that men or people climb trees other than if you were a child in this day and age, was for one reason, it was because you were a slave. We have a moment here in Zacchaeus' life where he has become so desperate, but yet remember, he is so powerful, right? He's got things going for him. He's grown an empire, a financial empire with financial security probably for the remainder of his days. But we see here for a split moment, where he become, some would say weak, but I think is where he becomes strong. 
It says that he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree. Now understand this, running. Running was unheard of as well. And here's why. The men in that day, they wore uh, their, their, their robes. They wore these robes that were flowing. And so if they were to run, there was the potential of their leg becoming exposed. And in that day, that was undignified. That was not allowed. That's not like how we come sometimes in the summer, but we'll come to church in shorts. I'm all about it. I wish I could get away with it. I'd come right up here with a shirt and tie and shorts if that was all right. All right. Some of you would be like, Pastor Kevin, this is, this is, we got to talk. But here you have this man who he says he ran ahead and he climbed. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of taken back here as I think about this of another story in the Bible. And, uh, the, you know, you look at the, the story of the prodigal son. All right. The prodigal. We understand that, that as he got his inheritance from his father and he went off and he spent the money, he squandered his inheritance, his fortune that was being given to him. There's something very key that happened. We understand that the prodigal represents who? Us. Correct? That's who the prodigal represents. Now, who's the father represent? God, our heavenly father. What blows my mind here after I read this and, and, and found out the meaning of why it was important that he ran is this. We read in that same story that when the father saw the son afar off, what did he do? He ran to him. In other words, God is saying, I don't care what I have to do to get your attention and to get through to you and to get to you. I'm going to do it. Nothing is going to stop me from getting to you. That is the love of our father. You know, there's another story in, in the Bible that we see someone doing something that was of the extraordinary, and we look at the woman with the issue of blood. She had an ailment. She had a problem. We understand that the story says that she went to doctors, and she tried to get taken care of, and, and she probably took all these home remedies, and she took the advice from her friends, and all this stuff, and nothing was working. Her life was looking like it was coming to an end, and, and everything was coming against her, and she had no hope. But we understand, we read in the story that she heard that Jesus was coming into town. And what did she do? She went to where he was. But when she got there, she saw this huge obstacle in front of her. This massive group of people was dividing her, the woman who had an issue, who needed God to do something. And her answer was right there just across from her. She, and she had such a faith that she knew all I had to do was just touch the hem of his garment. What's fascinating to me is that she was looking, and this is how some of us react. We'll go, you know, God's called me to do this ministry, Pastor Kevin, and I'm going to get involved in it. And the first moment that, um, you, know, you know, something comes up that, that, that says you can't get to that goal, you can't accomplish that. What do we do? We back off. Well, it must not have been of God. And we'll walk away. Sometimes in, in marriages that are failing, people will say, you know what, Pastor Kevin, I, I tried. I tried to get with that, you know, to get with them and, and to make it right. But there was just too op much opposition, too many things coming against us, and I'm going to stop. You know, I want to give you a, a word of encouragement here for a moment. Um, two weeks ago, I, I spoke a, a message about being planted, if you recall. And during that message, 
Uh, we talked about, um, you know, that what we need to do is to stay in the boat when problems and troubles come. Do you recall that? I think you do. I got a text message. It wasn't two days later from, from a woman and that was here that day and said, I just want to thank you. Or excuse me, a Facebook message says, I just want to thank you for that message because my husband and I have now decided to stay in the boat. You see what God can do? Do you see what God can do when we go that extra effort in our life? It's not that the first moment that opposition comes in that we need to throw our hands up and say, well, this must not have been of God. If that were the case, the woman with the issue of blood would never have continued to pursue as she did. And it says that she fought through the crowd. She pulled her way through till she got to Jesus. There is power in that statement because what we need to understand is that some of us right now are going through some difficulties and you have opposition right in front of you. You have things right in front of you that could be telling you it's going to fail. You're never going to amount. This marriage is never going to work. You're never going to fully uh, accomplish the potential that you think that God has in you. You're not going to fulfill the dreams and the goals. If we would just take on the attitude and begin to push our way through the crowd of the negativity, the opposition go this way. No, the, the, the naysayers go this way. And we just keep our focus on Jesus Christ. What could we accomplish? I think it's awesome in verse 4. Can you throw verse 4 back up for me? It says, he ran ahead and he climbed. He did something that they never would have done in this day and age. He's in Jericho. He's in this city, this metropolis, I guess you could say, in this moment. The Bible says that he ran. I wonder what the people thought as they saw Zacchaeus running. This man who probably just walked and had a strut to his step every day. Who had confidence and boldness about him every day. But yet inside, what people don't understand was as he was hurting. He was a man who was feeling rejection. He was a man that was beginning to realize that there must be more to this life than what I've already accomplished. In fact, everything that I've accomplished up to this point actually means nothing now. You know, sometimes we look at one another and we can look at each other and go, wow, they must really have it together. Look how well they're dressed. Their finances must be perfect. Look at that marriage. You know what? They're walking hand in hand every day. But you don't know the struggle maybe that marriage is going through. You might see those parents there with their children at the playground and, and, and you know, everything's going fine there. But at the home, it might be a different story because we know how we, we know how it can be. Sometimes you flip the switch, don't you? Oh, we got to put it on. People are around. We got to look right. You might look at the person that you saw this morning, even during worship, had their hands lifted high. Worshiping God, but you might not know the struggle that it took everything they could to put those hands up high. It might look right on the outside, but on the inside, they might be struggling. You see, in Zacchaeus' life, everything probably on the outside was looking right. Everything on the outside was looking good. But there became a moment, I believe, when he heard that Jesus was coming. I can't help but to think there must have been that ah moment in his life going... This could be the 
This could be where things change. This could be the moment. It says that he ran and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Let's go to verse 5. And it says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and it said to him, Zacchaeus. Now understand this. How did he know his name? Jesus isn't from there. It's amazing to me that God can look at us and be like Kevin. He knows his sheep and he knows them by what? By name. It says that when, he, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I love that. Because here you have the most rottenest, the most notorious dude in the area who's got the worst reputation. People probably talk bad about him. You know they talk bad about him. He's got everything going against him in society other than the wealth that he has. And Jesus looks at him and goes, come down from the tree. We're going to go hang out at your house. Can you imagine the talk that came in that moment by everyone else who was around? Can you believe this? Can you believe he would actually go and hang out with him? Could you believe that he would want to even break bread with him? Could you believe that he even, one, even recognized him? How in the world does Jesus know this man's name? Jesus in that moment came into that town with one purpose. And that was to get the baddest guy he could find and turn his life upside down. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. Let's go to verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. You know what fascinates me in that moment is something happened. From, from the tree to the ground, something changed. From the tree to the ground, something changed in that moment. It says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It's amazing to me that we could go through some of the roughest times in our life. But Jesus is looking at us saying, come here immediately. Come here immediately come to me immediately get to me now you see what's great about this story is that Zacchaeus did it it says he came down at once and he welcomed him the challenge for us is when Jesus speaks to us and when that Holy Spirit speaks to us trying to lead us and give us in, in the guidance that we need to go in are we willing to be like Zacchaeus and gladly welcome him or are we going to continue to be the way we've been? Continuing to do the same things, but expecting a different result. Makes no sense. We will go, I need to get closer to God. And we will go in prayer, you know, up here in the altar sometimes, or even while you're at your seat. 
Because I do believe God can still meet you at your seat. Amen? All right? I want to make that very clear. But we will, we will make those moments. And we will say, God, change me. God, deliver me. God, make me different. God, improve me. But when we leave here, we do nothing different. We don't allow change to come in. We still lack in those what? Spiritual disciplines. In those getting into God's word. And that getting into the prayer time. And that allowing ourselves to be, be, to, to, to be uh, surrounded by like-minded believers. Verse 6 says, so he came down and at once and welcomed him gladly. Let's flip over to 7. All the people saw this and began to mutter. I love that mutter. Mutter. Let's just put gossip. Gossip. That's what they're doing. They're gossiping. They can't believe that Jesus is going to do this. He has gone to be with the guest of a what? A sinner? Thank God he was a guest of this sinner. Amen. Thank God he's a guest of you as a sinner. Mm, it's amazing. You know, I, um, I, 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 have a, I try to take one day a week and go out and, and, and see people that normally don't come to church. And just to go out and hang. And I've been able to, to believe I'm not Jesus. So I'm not doing that. You know. But I go out to, to see people that normally don't come to church here. And, and uh, I got a group of guys that I'll go out and just kind of hang out with for a period of time. They don't even come to church. Every now and then they might pop in just to see what's up, you know. And there's a plan behind that, trying to develop that relationship. It's amazing to me that Jesus could just show up and bam, everything changes. You know what I mean? I'm like, come on, God, really? But if we ever take the attitude of, you know what, I'm doing nothing. I'm not making a difference then you won't ever make a difference because you'll just give up on what God's trying to lead you and to go into. Remember, he gave us a great commission. And what is that? To take the gospel to all this entire world, to spread it. We are disciples, whether you like it or not. I, I, I spoke about this several months ago on our Wednesday night series on discipleship. You are a person of influence. You may not even realize it. You influence your children. You influence your uh, relatives, you influence your coworkers, those who are around you. So therefore, an influencer is, guess what? A disciple. What are you discipling? Think about that. What do, what do you mean by that, Pastor Kevin? What are you sharing with other people? What is your life doing? I shared something this week on Facebook, and uh, it was a quote by Andy Stanley. Unfortunately, I don't know the exact quote, but it kind of went something like this. We, we separate the natural from the holy. But that's not how it is. Everything we live in life is in holiness. What are you bringing to the table? What kind of things are you bringing to the table in your relationships? Let's go on to verse 8 here in this scripture, in this passage. And it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything... I will pay back four times the amount. Whoa. You want to talk about a life change. We just had a life change. Somebody was serious when they wanted to meet Jesus. And when they met Jesus, things changed. Are you following me here? If you really want to see it happen in your life, 
He had a goal. His goal was to get to him. I don't know that he had this uh, thought in his mind of what he was going to do later, but his goal was to get to him. After that, who knows what his thought was, process was going at that point. I talked to somebody. Um, I might be shooting myself in the foot on this statement, but I'm going to anyway. I talked to somebody about a month ago, and there was a, uh, a benefit that happened, or not a benefit, but um, uh, a dinner auction of some sort that happened. And uh, I was talking to him about the event that they went to, and I said, how did you enjoy it? I said, oh, it was good. It was great, you know. And, uh, but then the alcohol kind of broke out, and all these people started buying things for outrageous prices. I guarantee the next morning they woke up going, what did I just do? I don't think that happened here for Zacchaeus. I believe that his heart was forever changed in this moment. And he meant those words, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's how we know this man was wealthy. He had plenty to give back. That is remarkable to me. That is remarkable to me that here he is, he's collected his wealth. Everything that he was going for in life was the getting to where he's currently at. But then Jesus somehow steps in and changes everything. His outlook went from greed to giving. Selfishness, self, selfishness to selflessness. That is amazing to me. I believe that you and I as Christians, as Christ followers, need to take on this attitude of God. Change me. Whatever I've done wrong to other people, it's time for me now to correct that. It's time for me to no longer hold those grudges. It's time for me to make those relationships and mend those relationships to where they're fine again. It's time for me to go to those individuals and say, you know what, forgive me. Forgive me for my wrong. I bet Zacchaeus, that's what he did as he went and he repaid. Because I believe this man did that. I'm sorry. Here's what I took from you. And here's extra, plus interest. We liked it, plus interest. I added that. He's giving back. Let's go to verse 9. Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man... Two is a son of Abraham. Wow. We have a man who was feeling rejected. And Jesus, in that moment, said to the crowd, he said, look, you need to understand something. This man is, too, a son of Abraham. What did that mean? What, what was Jesus trying to say there? He's saying, you must now forget about what he's done in the past. You need to understand who he is, and he's a Jew just like you you got to push that aside, and we got to form that relationship. You know, that gives us hope today because many of us might be living in that rejected state right now in our life. We might be feeling that loneliness. Maybe, maybe we've treated people wrong or maybe not even that. Maybe you just feel rejected in life because just things haven't worked out the way that you wanted it to. And, you know, sometimes we put ourselves in a, a, a state of mind. We think people don't like us when people really do like us. Think about that for a moment. And God is saying here today, he's saying, look, 
I can help the most rejected. I did it here and I can do it in your life. I love you. I have grace. I have mercy. I have love. I have compassion that I want to share to you. I want you to stand with me this morning. You know, there, there could be those of you this morning that you could say, Pastor Kevin, you know what? I've done so many things wrong in my life. How could God love me? Simple. I just read it to you. He loves you. He loves you. We see it all throughout the scriptures of God showing his love. The, the Bible itself is a love letter to you and I. It is God expressing his love to you and I. We see through the New Testament of how Jesus transformed so many lives. And we also see it in the Old Testament. We see how God gets interactive with his people. And God wants to become interactive in your life today. It doesn't matter what has happened in the past. It doesn't matter what your reputation has been. All that matters is are you willing to run after him to climb that tree? Are you willing to fight through that crowd? You know, there's another story that we read in the New Testament also in the Gospels where there were some friends who had a sick friend. It says that they picked up his bed and they carried him to where Jesus was. When they approached that house, there was such a large crowd around them that they couldn't get to the door. They probably went to the windows. You've heard me tell this story before. They probably went to the windows and Probably so many people, they couldn't get their friend there to him either. And they probably went around back looking and they couldn't get there either. And it says that, what did they do? They went on top of the roof. And they began to put a hole in the roof so they could lower their friend down to Jesus. See, I don't know what opposition is standing in front of you between you and Jesus. But it's not as valuable as Jesus is. It's not as strong as who Jesus is. If we would just fight through the opposition, if we would just, there's always a way around it. The woman with the issue of blood, she fought through it. Zachariah, I mean, (laughs) Zacchaeus, what did he do? He ran and he climbed. These men, what did they do? They took their friend and they put him up and then lowered him down through a roof. If we will do our part, I promise you this, Jesus will do his part. The thing is, is who is willing to step out and say, Lord, I'm stepping out today because there's some things I need you to become interactive with in my life. There's family that need to be saved. There's a job, a new career that I need. There's a financial stress that needs to be lifted. There's, there's a relationships that need to be mended. You know what, Pastor Kevin, I need to find Jesus. God is telling us, Jesus is telling us, His Holy Spirit is speaking to us today and saying this, if we would just step out and fight through the opposition, Jesus will meet us right there. He will meet us right there. You know what's remarkable to me is that every story that you see with Jesus in the New Testament and the Bible, when God transformed people's lives, what did they do? They had to take the step. When the disciples were in the boat, what did they do? They had to go to Jesus. Zacchaeus had to run to Jesus. 
The woman with the issue of the blood had to go to Jesus. The sick friend had to be, what, be lowered down. Lazarus, in order to be raised up, what? The message had to go to Jesus. That's the key there. It means we must step out and do our part. So my question to you this morning is this, and the challenge that is laid before us today is this. Are you willing to step out? Are you willing to be the individual who is going to step out? You know, it's time. It's time in my life. Pastor Kevin, I'm going to step out. I've, it's time for this marriage to be mended again. Just like that, that text I, re- I received uh, two weeks ago where that woman said, my husband and I are staying in the boat, Pastor. I was having a rotten day that day. <laughs> And I got that, and it was like, wow, look what Jesus can do. So we sit back, and we, we stand here, and we go, I, actually, I don't know what you do, because I think every sermon I preach is the best thing in the world. <laughs> Not much laughter in today's message, so I had to throw something out there. I don't know what goes through your mind sometimes as to why you just stay there or just why you're not reaching out and doing your part. But I want to challenge you this morning. Watch this. Even if you don't feel like it, I want you to step out and to step out. You know, I'm going to get into this in another series later on, but there is, I believe, three different incidences with Gideon in the Bible when God was calling him He stepped out and he challenged God. He said, Lord, if you will do this, I will do this. Lord, if you will do this, I will do this. Lord, if you will do this, I will do this. Today would be a good day. God, I'm going to step out. Now, will you do this? Will you help my marriage? Will you help my relationship with you? Will you help my depression, my anxiety? Will you help my loneliness? Will you help my children? I believe God's saying, and trying to wake us up today and saying, are you willing to step out in the challenge? So that's my call to you today for this altar time. If that's you this morning, I'm asking you, step out. Accept the challenge that God is laying before you and step out and come to this altar. Stand there, kneel here, whatever it is you want to do. However you feel getting closer to God, whatever you must do, I'm asking you today, to step out and to do just that.